0: You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Having started his fashion journey as an intern at Interview Magazine during the Fabian Barron and Karl Templer reign, Kevin McIntosh Jr. went on to compile an impressive resume before ultimately breaking out on his own. With a client list made up of friends and a solid community, he's the publicist thought partner to Gigi Hadid on her new guest-in-residence line and was a longtime collaborator to the late and legendary Virgil Abloh. Today, he works with an amazing and growing list of people that have all been drawn in by that contagious and jovial energy. And when I asked him about his thoughts on anyone who found it crazy starting a company amidst a pandemic, he quickly reminded us that a belief in oneself is paramount to any success story. This is Kevin McIntosh Jr. We're talking about what's contemporary now today. So Kevin McIntosh Jr., where are you from? Let's start from the beginning. From the moon. Just kidding. (laughs) All right, long story short, I was... Born in California, raised in the Virgin
1: Islands. In 2001, my family, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to high school in Charlotte, college in Greensboro. I moved to New York on December 30th,
0: 2009. And I've been here ever since. Beautiful. And what was the sort of genesis into fashion PR? Just kind of doing the do. I think when you
1: go to school somewhere in the South, you don't really know what that is. You don't know how you jump into this marketplace. And I remember just applying to all these places and I wasn't getting in and I wasn't getting feedback or callbacks or any of that stuff. And what I started doing was basically I emailed, I faxed and I mailed my cover letter and resume to like everyone in the fashion mass heads. So like interview, Vogue, GQ, like I literally was onboarding them like via fax, via post, (laughs) via email. And then finally interview got back to me and I went in for an interview and then that's what started my journey in the fashion.
0: And you actually had a little bit of a quick fire series of stints at a few different places in the beginning, including interview. And then I believe it was KCD. It was some time at Ralph Lauren before you landed at Carla Otto for what was it, seven years? Seven years, eight months, a little short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... I was at Interview for a very
1: long time and I learned a lot. And that was like my strong foundation to fashion. Mm-hmm. Just because editorial really teaches you and being in a smaller magazine where the team spread a little, you kind of learn a lot. It's a very quick history into what fashion is and what fashion means. And at the time, it was like Carl Templer and Fabian Barron leading the magazine. So it was very fashion, like fashion with a capital F. <laughs> so we learned about a lot of brands, a lot, a lot of latex. We called it a bunch of crap all the time. But then we also got to do like fun things at the time. Miguel and Amorato was both the beauty and fashion director. So we got exposure into like beauty things. What those releases look like. What those bottles look like being shot. All that stuff was interesting and fun. But I think I that gave me a really strong foundation. And it helped me to like go into the next thing. There are only so many magazines. So if my goal was to be a fashion director. Be taken seriously in that world to move up. Then there are only so many positions. And those people... Sandals rose for a long time. I just didn't find that there was a lot of room for
0: growth. So I decided to go in another direction, which was communications. And that's the time when you had decided to jump over to KCD? No, I did a program with Mr. Supporter. They were here in their first year in the U.S. And I
1: did that. Ah, uh, Yes, that's right. Mr. Supporter, I would say, was very similar to agency life, just because you're working on so many brands all the time. So it was quite exciting, but just a lot going on, which is good. But that didn't last forever. It was like a six-month rotation program. So mm-hmm. post that, I did do the KCD Fashion Week freelance ship where I ran the request that KCD Fashion Week inbox. And then after that was over, I went over to Ralph and I was there for a good six months. And I worked on women's wear collections. And that was fun. Learned a lot. There was a lot of budget. So there was not any horror. You can get everything you needed every place all the time. But it was, you know, it was a good learning in PR. And then I interviewed at Carla Otto and then I got that gig and I really took it from there.
0: Yeah. What was it about Carla Otto that was so enticing to you in terms of the longevity of your stay? I
1: mean, it was an agency, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was there to learn and they had exciting brands. And I mean, they were the most respected and I know I wanted to be a person that traveled because I think once you travel and do fashion on the biggest scale, you're the most respected. And that was always an interest and something I wanted to do. So to be able to go to Paris and Milan and London and everywhere else was always the goal. I know I could get that there. And I know that I could
0: work hard to go towards my goals of what I wanted. It feels organic to certain people who just have that character trait of being an entrepreneur to open up your own business. And I definitely want to lean in on that subject a little bit more as far as culture in general, but who decides to go off on their own and start a company in the midst of an unprecedented pandemic where we're facing incredible amounts of uncertainty? That was quite a move. Well, I would say like, I'm ambitious,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm educated and... I'm enterprising and I believe in myself and I have a strong community and I have people who believe in me. So while that was a bit scary, you know, I was at the top of my thing at Carlotta. I was a department head. Mm -hmm. So I could do one or two things. I can either make money for other people and never see it. Or I can make money for myself and work with people that I liked and wanted to work with.
0: And obviously in life we have our formative years as people, but in business, which accounts or which types of relationships amongst that network you're referring to do you find to have been the most formative in your kind of upbringing in fashion PR?
1: I would say like my relationship with Berger Abloh was always a very big help. I think it's where I got most of my respect and working alongside him for about six years, that really helped with my career and Really put me in a position to be in front of the people that I need to be in front of, to be taken seriously and to be respected in an industry. It also opened doors for me uh, as it opened doors for him, being a person of color and being able to sit across from people of importance and give them my opinion and have them pay me for my trusted opinion and respected opinions.
0: That's another really important subject. Obviously, there's been a great deal of conversation around the emergence of more Black creatives within the business as a whole over the past few years. Virgil played such a key component, leading by example, not only... For particular communities, but the industry as a whole and the way he changed people's relationship to luxury, the intersection of fashion and culture. Even on a personal level, I would think that working with someone as brilliant as he was across so many different categories probably influenced the way you approach your job to a degree as well, no? I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I've always
1: known what I've signed up for. And I think when you're a person of color in this industry, mm-hmm. like most things in our life, we have to work twice as hard to get half of what other people get. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a bitter person or whatever. I think I have everything that I've gotten, I've worked really hard for and I deserve. Mm-hmm. But it does help when you have a sense of community. It is great to see that the doors are being opened now. And the people that I came up with, it's good to see that we're flourishing, whether it's a Jaleel Weaver, Gabriella Karifla Johnson, Carlos, Yasha Simmons, Leron Howard, God, all these people are people that I started with. We came up together and it's good to see like, we are finally getting respect that we've been owed and we've continued to do the magic that we've been doing all these years. And I think it feels amazing to have the recognition and for us to be people's trusted sources and for us to do what we enjoy doing and get paid the right rates and the right amount
0: of money to do those things. I actually remember speaking to Carlos about something similar a few years back where we were talking about the general subject matter of diversity and inclusion as a whole, but specifically how important he thought it was to also have people of color behind the camera mm-hmm. amongst the creators in the team who were capturing and creating those images and that content. What are your thoughts on that dynamic as it applies to your own experiences there?
1: I think people can do better. I think people do a lot of things for face value. And Mm -hmm. I go inside a lot of times and I'm the only person there of color Mm -hmm. or I'm the only person there. And I'm like, I'm a consultant, but in-house, there's no other people of color. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean black. I mean, Asian or Mm -hmm. Pacific Islander or whatever. You know, oftentimes I do bring it up to clients and I'm like, hey, maybe that's an avenue like we can do better in. But I do think it's good to have these people's ideas. I think a lot of times that's why things are missed. And that's why sometimes these brands are in trouble because oftentimes it's a lot of people in the room talking about things they have no clue about. And that could be a a room full of people planning a Black History Month program and no one is black (laughs) or knows anything about black life. Or someone planning like a Latinx or LGBTQ Pride Month. And it's just like those people aren't in the room to be properly represented. So if you have a bunch of random people throwing out these ideas that they know nothing about or what they think is fun or cool.
0: And that's still happening.
1: Oh, that will continue to happen. But I think it is great to see that some of these doors have been opening and people mm-hmm. are doing their due diligence. We did see an increase in 2020 with the unfortunate murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see that while something unfortunate did happen, people took heed and we're holding people accountable. And we are time and time again, checking in on those people who made that black square their thing Mm -hmm. to see like what they're doing,
0: who they're hiring, what kinds of ambassadors they're working with and things like that. The word authenticity is very played out at this point, but it's still an incredibly important factor in things. I was curious as to what your thoughts were around the role that authenticity plays when you're building a brand's message of a company you're working with.
1: We work in this industry that's all about optics and love and selling a dream and selling a fantasy, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to be authentic within that. But I also realize that a big part of what we do is selling a fantasy and sometimes that's not always authentic. Yeah. So I try to keep things as authentic as I can, but the reality is that's not always the reality. <laughs> yeah. Just based on who we are and what we do,
0: you know? Well, even on your website, you mentioned words like positive and impact when you're describing the strategy that you offer brands in your services. What do those words mean to you in the context that you're using them as far as the fashion brand and strategy around it?
1: I've been a part of like really cool things, right? And I've been able to see a lot of fun things and a lot of things that have been impactful or have moved culture. So when I go into these meetings or when I go into meeting clients or anything that I'm doing, I want people to know my intent. And my intent will always be to one, ship culture, two, to make noise, three, to have fun. And I think using words like that is my intent because
0: that's what I plan to
1: do. Mm -hmm. So I just want people to
0: be aware of like where I am
1: and how I stand on those things.
0: Another thing that's one of your very well-known traits when people mention your name is the fact that you're an incredibly nice person. And that's not to say that the industry is made up of demons and horrible people, but I do think there's something to be acknowledged when someone is so consistent in their character at any given time, especially to your point of having achieved the success that you've already achieved and never having changed along the way. What do you credit that to? Is it your parents? Is it just sort of your inherent personality? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I was raised from a place of love. I'm also
1: not an angry person Mm -hmm. and I just don't really deal with bullshit. So it's easy for me to just, it's easier to leave with love and to be open and to be nice. Also, the industry is small and I have to see you so much, (laughs) you specifically. (laughs) You have to see so many of our peers so many times throughout the year. So it's like, why am I going to be an asshole? Why am I going to be a dick? Obviously, there are people who are mean or crazy, but it's like if I'm spending so much time with so many of these people all the time why not be nice? Why not find out about your kids? Why not find out about your partner? Why not know where you're going to go on vacation? We can help each other. I mean, in the end, we're going to be working together. I'm going to see you. So my biggest thing that I hate about fashion is like when you meet someone 20 times and each time they still want to reintroduce themselves to you. After a while, I'm like, oh my God, I've (laughs) never met you. Who are you again? And I used to play that game for a very long time, but it's the game I stopped playing last year. I'm like, Go to hell. You know exactly who I am. There are only so many black ball men in fashion. I'm not meeting you for 15 times. Goodbye. <laughs> what do you think that's about? I have no clue. People are complex and people are crazy. And all that to say, like, good riddance to them. We gotta fight our own demons and I don't have time to figure out people's
0: demons. <laughs> this is an absolutely fair point. So going back to the way you've built out your own company and the sort of tent poles and tenants that it's based upon, what Do you think are some of the primary examples of how working with a smaller and more nimble company than some of these larger, more heritage brands differs, you know, for the brands they're looking for thought partners today?
1: Well, I think it's a couple of things, right? I think people want honesty, people want someone they can trust, people want someone, like I said, who's impactful, who's shifting culture, someone that they can really partner with. I think a lot of times, and I'm lucky that it's a team of five here. We're small, but you get hands-on service. And I think a lot of times people go to those agencies looking to get X head person in charge. And the problem is that person sizes the contract and they get the clients in. And then you never see that head figure again. Yeah. (laughs) And I think people are just a bit tired of that. They're smart enough. They want to do things a bit different.
0: A lot of people have actually discussed the idea that in the future, everyone will essentially work as an independent contractor for similar reasons. Is that something that you agree with, or do you think that's a hyperbolic prediction? I think that's a little crazy of a prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Something I'd already touched upon earlier was the intersecting points of culture and fashion. Do you feel as though culture informs fashion more specifically today than perhaps it generally has Over decades. I mean, I think it's all like a clusterfuck, to be honest. Fashion, music, art,
1: it's all culture. One leads to the next. And I think that's interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And I think it's exciting, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I think it all ties in together. I think it's a big part of how it all works. And it's a thing that we'll continue to see. I mean, look at how we've infiltrated F1 with with fashion brands. Mm -hmm. Basel, you can't go to a thing without fashion being involved. You can't go to a thing without seeing a music artist or an artist or a performance Mm -hmm. of any sort. Like our lives are all intertwined.
0: Well, if I were to distill the comparison down to something like talent management, specifically within the fashion space, you're of course going to look at it through the lens of magazine covers, advertising campaigns, and appearances on a runway with directional brands. What are the examples of that on the side of a brand? Where do you want to see the brands you're working with live as far as market share, share of voice? You mentioned Art Basel, Formula One, and then there are obviously more traditional spaces. But what are some examples of the lanes you think brands have to engage with and exist in today in order to be successful?
1: All of them. I think it's literally every single thing. Like you need to show up Mm -hmm. and you need to show up in all these aspects. You need to be dressing celebrities. You need to be on the websites of these publications. You need to be working with your sales partners to have amazing dinners and to make sure you have exclusive content and sacks and not Barney's because they're closed down, but so, that's <laughs> <R>. I said <laughs> a
0: supporter. R.I.P.
1: R.I.P. Barney's. But yeah, you just have to do all of that. It's not a one dimensional thing. I think a modern take. And if anyone is telling a brand like, oh, you should just be focused on like publications. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. That would be so dumb. You have to focus on a 360 approach. You should be dressing people. You should be working with influencers. You should be doing a presentation or a runway show or something of sorts. You just need to make. And gravitate to everything, you know?
0: Well, you brought up shows, and that's another common point of discussion is the role that a runway show plays today versus before and whether or not it's still as important. And in the case it's not, what is the alternate proposition? What are your thoughts on the importance of shows for a brand? I
1: think it's really important. I think it's obviously a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow and be a part of that conversation and get global reach, Mm -hmm. there's no better way to do it than a runway show. I mean, that's quite expensive and I understand that, but I think. It pays off in itself. The casting, the clothes, the people in attendance, it's all a 360 approach. It comes at a heavy penny, but I think if you do it right, it pays off.
0: What are your thoughts on some of the more recent iterations, such as digital presentations or fashion films? I mean, there's always going to be a fashion film that's quite annoying, but (laughs) I will say I'm happy that the world's
1: open again and we're doing less digital things was great to have digital components. Obviously, there are places like Asia that are still locked down and they are in need of that and all that fun stuff. But I think it's good that we are back and things are open and we can have fun things happen. And that feels really good.
0: And what about things like brick and mortar? Do you feel as though those are important spaces for you, the brands you're working with to occupy?
1: Yeah, I think brick and mortar is quite important because People still shop in that manner. Like I am someone who likes to go into a store, you know, Mm -hmm. it feels nice to be able to do that.
0: And I'm annoying myself by bringing it up already, but I feel like it's an unavoidable topic of conversation when we're discussing this industry. What are your thoughts, feelings, predictions, hypothetical strategies with the arrival of the metaverse, which obviously is not yet fully developed itself, but knowing that it is kind of on the eve of its full arrival. What are Mm -hmm. your thoughts about that?
1: I'm still learning about that myself. Obviously, we're definitely moving there. I think it has to be done within time. I think a lot of times because we're over consumed with a lot of information, people all want to be a part and run into something without even understanding what they're doing. I myself, I don't fully understand it. So I would love to learn more before I even speak about it. Fair enough.
0: And I'm still learning. I'm learning every day, you know. A question that I actually asked someone else in a similar space that I thought had a very interesting answer was whether or not you think that it's possible to develop a heritage brand in today's cultural climate. I think so. Consumers are always going to buy stuff and that's what they want.
1: As long as you're like putting together great knowledge and you're having strong conversation, I think. That will continue
0: so you think the ability to sustain interest to that extent creating culture around a brand community around a brand still exists it's not necessarily something interesting if the Mm -hmm. clothes are good if you're storytelling correctly Mm -hmm. you'll go far and how large of a role does a pr play for their clients when it comes to the storytelling element i'm assuming it's quite huge it's very huge I think it's a big part. I think oftentimes I meet people who are like, I've never had PR. Or I don't want PR. And I'm like, but what you are talking about,
1: the things that you do when you see, when you give gifts to your celebrity friends, that's PR. You know, when mm-hmm. a magazine picks up an XYZ person wearing it, that's PR. When you post on social media about the products that you're launching and like the rollout, social media activation, that's a part of PR marketing. So a lot of times people think they don't want it or don't need
0: it or they don't know what it is, or they're against it. But it's like a big part of what you do is PR. It's communications, is exposure. Absolutely. And speaking of magazines, what role do you think a magazine cover plays in culture today? I think that's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I think print's definitely alive and well. Mm-hmm. But over the years, that conversation's changed tremendously. So It's definitely been interesting to see the way that's been fragmented as far as the impact it might have regionally. Something else you also mentioned on the website was the global impact. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the global market because on one hand, obviously it's become far more interconnected than ever before, but at the same time, we're also seeing much more regional behavior. So how much is considered when it comes to local audiences versus a global audience when you're strategizing around a brand? I think it's a bit of both. You can have something happening amazing here, but then You have to start thinking about the
1: kids in Africa or in Asia or people in France who may be seeing this and want it. I think now it's social media reaches everything and any person with Wi-Fi can see everything happening around the world. So you have to be able to have these conversations. We live in a different time. Like any person can go into a McDonald's and get free Wi-Fi and see what's happening here in the U.S. or what's happening in XYZ part of
0: the world. So you have to really think about
1: how you are having these conversations
0: with all those places. Just we live in a different time. Again, it's easy to theoretically understand and verbally state, but executing that effectively, I think, is a whole other matter. Understanding our limited time with you, I would love to hear your thoughts on the role of Black creatives in the industry today and how you think the industry has actually been changed over recent years where we've seen more people being given long overdue chances.
1: I think the industry has changed a lot giving opportunities to black creatives. I think the industry can continue to change. Mm-hmm. And I think people can really take heed to doing more. There is obviously a lot happening and it's great to see, but it needs to be, you know, really 360, not just optics of having a black person hired to X place, but also hiring more women, hiring men, hiring different people, different, not just black, but other races. To be a part of production teams, to be a part of photography teams. I think going on set and seeing just one race of people, it's unfortunate. But being able to, you know, really talk the talk and walk the walk, it's great because I think Black people are great and we have a hell of a culture and we're creative as shit. So (laughs) I would just say it's great to see people being a part of the winning team and more people just need to be a part of that winning team. It's their loss. If not, we're definitely not begging anyone to give us jobs. But it would be great to see people get their flowers while they're alive and people hire the right people to make magic and to create more beautiful things and put it
0: out in the world. I love everything about that answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi. Joseph Tom Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week and for additional content find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.